Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Ladies, who are you supposed to be? One of these gals? A hodgepodge of all of them? Some kind of mixture of, of everything you've been exposed to? Your mom? Your grandmother? School teacher? Um, well, let me give you the short answer to that, it's, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to see this unfold really more in week four here. But singularly, you're supposed to be you. You're supposed to be you. You're not supposed to be any of these, any of these gals... And, and, and there's 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 some nice ladies up there. My mom's up there actually, um, so and and people would do well to to be like her, I think. But you're not supposed to be a hodgepodge of 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 these ladies. You're not supposed to be a mixture of all that. Now, uh, there, as I said, there are things you can glean from every female influence in your life, good and bad. Uh, but I hope what you see here, as we well, especially last week and 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 then this week, we're going to look at. At Ruth this week, we looked at Hannah last week and saw that she was an incredible lady of persistent prayer. What we didn't have time to delve into is, is Hannah was likely somebody who suffered from depression. And, and the, the, the press through, the, the, the get through, the make it from that whole, that whole life of years and years and years of, of being childless uh, and, and, and praying and praying and praying and continuing to beseech God and, and continue to be made fun of by Elkanah's other wife, Penina. Uh, year after year after year, pressing through that. How did she do that? She did that by way of persistent prayer. And so what we're going to see today in, in Ruth's example is something altogether different, yet altogether needed. And I'm, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to read, I'm going to be gleaning from all three chapters of Ruth. We're not going to read all this text today in, at, at one time. Um, but it would, it would do you a great service to read this whole story of, where, of how Ruth's whole situation unfolds. And, uh, and then it's just a very short Short book, you can read it, all, all four chapters are fairly short, uh, but I would encourage you to read all of this. But um, Ruth begins, and this is the singular trait, I think, that you're going to see everything else today that dovetails into this. Ruth begins by being a woman of unwavering loyalty. She's a woman of unwavering loyalty. Last week we saw Hannah, a woman of persistent prayer, among other things, <laughs> among great courage, among great conviction, she was a woman of persistent prayer. prayer. Prayer was the basis for everything else that grew out of her life. Here, loyalty is the key components, the key basis from which everything grows out of Ruth's life. It begins with that. Look in, in verse 16 of chapter uh, 1. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you, that she's talking to Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, Ruth didn't owe Naomi any loyalty. Uh, in fact, in that culture, most of the time, if, if in Ruth's husband, uh, she was a widow and her husband had died, uh, and most of the time in that culture, you go back to the home, you go back to your father and mother, as, as, as a widowed wife, you go back to your, father's and mother, your father and mother's house, not to your mother-in-law's house. I mean, she took this leave and cleave stuff when you get married pretty seriously. And she, in fact, she abandons the city, the, the town, the, the, the relationship she has 
and takes up with Naomi, Naomi and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Now, I think there's a clear reason for this beyond, beyond just blind loyalty. I don't think your loyalty is blind. I really believe, and you'll see this as, if you go back and read this entire story, you'll see this unfold and come out of the cracks of these verses. Naomi had some godly qualities and characteristics in her that Ruth wanted to be. I don't know if she didn't see those things in her mother. I don't know if she didn't, didn't surround herself with those things in her friends. But there were some godlike characters to Naomi that Ruth said, that's the person I want to model. That's the person I want to be like. That's the person I want to follow. And so because of that, I think she was, she was extremely loyal to, to Naomi. And, and, and we'll, we'll see how this unfolds and what, what rolls out of this loyalty here in just a moment. But at the root, ladies, of loyalty is selflessness. You can't be loyal and selfish at the same time. It's just, it's almost totally impossible because loyalty is a dying to myself. It's a dying to what I want and seeking your way better, your way more, more prominent, more prevalent than mine. So it's impossible to be loyal and to be selfish at the same time. I think it's important for, for us to see that. And loyalty is a hard characteristic to live. It's a hard trait to live. Here's why. Because loyalty can sometimes, A, force us to keep our mouths shut when we want to speak. Loyalty can be, force us to speak a difficult truth when we'd rather keep our mouths shut. Loyalty, C, can help us to walk away from the easy thing. And loyalty, D, can make us walk toward the hard thing. Now, look at Ruth's example. She walks away from the easy thing, the family, the, the surroundings, the culture she's known, walks toward the hard thing of the total unknown of where Naomi's going, and they're going to Bethlehem. She's following Naomi to Bethlehem. She's wherever you live, I'm going to live. Wherever you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Whatever your God, whatever you, however, you, however I see you worship, the model of worship you have in front of me is the, is the way I'm going to worship. And ladies, here's a great trait and a great truth, especially those of you with daughters. They're going to worship the way you worship. They're going to see God the way you see God. They're going to be a reflection of your engagement with God. It's so vitally important that they see an accurate look, that they see an accurate picture and all that. I don't know that Naomi didn't see that in her home, but she certainly did see that in Naomi and chose to follow Naomi because of that. Um, Your Lord needs your loyalty. Your family needs your loyalty. Your friends need your loyalty. Your church needs your loyalty. Your community needs your loyalty. But she finds that because she follows this model of godliness in Naomi that she sees. And she says, that's what I want to be. That's where I want to go. That's what I want my life to look like. Now, I don't know if, that's, if, if that strikes you as, as something that's odd. or something. It, it, it does me. I mean, how many of you ladies would, would chuck your family and go follow your mother-in-law wherever she wanted to go? Um, I love my mother-in-law. But I don't know that I would check my family. If, if my mother-in-law wanted to move someplace and said, hey, let's go over here, I don't know that I'd follow my mother-in-law. She's a, she's a lovely lady, godly, a lot of godly qualities, and, and, and great cook, by the way, too. But I don't know that I would, that I would just leave, cart up everything and leave. And, and, and there, there's some great godly traits in her. Uh, so you see, you see this, this, this severance that, that, that Ruth takes here to say, I'm going to sever ties with my own family, with my own location, with, with all that I've ever known, because of the characteristics I see in this lady, and I want to be like her, and I want, to, I, want, I want to follow her example. I want to know her better. She was a woman of unwavering loyalty. Secondly, down in chapter 2, verses 5 and seven, we see, uh, five to 7, we see this, this idea of her unending drive. Unending drive. Look in verse 5. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, 
Where or whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the, Mo, uh, the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now, I don't know if you've ever gleaned. Uh, they have machines now that glean grain. But you know how you glean grain in these days? You think about doing this all day? <laughs> you know, from daylight to dark. That's what she did. And there was, there was a drive in her to do this that I don't think uh, necessarily came from her. It came from this desire of, the, of her loyalty to, to, Nate, to, Nate, no, to Nate. Don't try this at home. I'm a professional speaker. She, her loyalty to Naomi drove her into this, into this sense of, of provision, into, the, into, into seeing sustenance and food and the need for that. And, and we, ladies, um, I want to say this in as gracious a way as I can, but I think this is what not only these verses but the entirety of Scripture teach. You're not to be taken care of. And if somebody planted that in you, that you're to be taken care of, I think they planted a false concept, biblically at least, in you. Now, culturally, I see where you can get that. You are to be loved and you are to be affirmed. And that's exactly what Boaz does here. He loves, in fact, uh, look down in verse 15. Um, and they, go, they eat a meal together. Uh, Boaz invites her to, to, to come and have, have dinner uh, there in verse 14. She sat down and, and ate some roasted grain in verse 14. As she got up to glean, she get up from, gets up from the meal to go back to gather more, go back to the fields. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. Now, Boaz, uh, Boaz, Boaz was, was clearly drawn to her and clearly recognized Here's a person that, is, that is, has an extreme drive for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And to, to the extent that she's out here daylight to dark, bending over and gathering grain all day, or gathering the stalks that will become grain all day. And he didn't, you notice, say, well, somebody go gather for her. He didn't take care of her. He does later. He marries her. But he didn't, he didn't necessarily take care of her to say, you don't need to do that. That's not work befitting a woman. What he did was made it easy for her. In essence, he affirmed what she had chosen to do, not take, take her away from it. I think there's a, I think there's a, there's a false, and I, and I feel for you ladies, as I said last week, I, the, the mixed messages this culture sends you of who you're supposed to be, I don't blame you for being confused. I don't blame you for being frustrated because it's, it's, it's nuts to, 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 to look like or to think I'm supposed to look like all these things in our culture. I'm supposed to be the CEO of the business. I'm supposed to be the CEO of my home. I'm supposed to, to have all the laundry clean. My house is supposed to look perfect. Nothing's out of shape. There's no dust anywhere. There's no, and, and, and that ship's already sailed. <laughs> I mean, there are no perfect women who can be totally 100% in every arena. That's just that's not who God's called you to, and I think that's the pressure of our culture to tell you that's exactly who you're supposed to be. But she was a woman here of unending drive. That started from, from started at daylight and worked to dark, over and over, bending over again, grabbing it. Now her motivation here um, was was to 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 provide for herself and for Naomi. Um, and there is, I want you to see this this natural drive that's in her, and there is a natural drive in both men and women. Men's natural drive is to provide. Women have a natural uh, uh, drive to nurture. 
Uh, and that's, again, that's a, that's those, both of those things are biblical concepts. And in that, she is driven to provide sustenance for herself and for Naomi. That's the drive. It's not to get out here and, and, and you know, outwork all these women out here in Boaz's field. No, it's to glean as much as I can, to take home as much as I can so that we have food to eat. There was, there was, there was those basic essentials. We're going to look more at that in just a second. But this is not, ladies, don't, don't read too far into this. This is not, um, though, though what I said earlier, um, I think lends itself to this fact that, that women weren't designed, and, and this may break your heart, ladies, to, to hear this, but it's, it's, I, think it's, I think it's biblical. Consequently, I think it's true. Women weren't designed for leisure. And, and if, if somebody planted that seed in you, I think they planted a, a false, carnal, fleshly human seed. Women were designed to be driven to nurture designed to take care of. Those, that, those are the things they're, they're driven and designed to do, not designed for leisure. Now, please don't see this as, because I don't think it is, please don't see this as a biblical position on working inside and outside the home. I don't think it's that at all. In fact, I don't think it's wrong to work outside the home. I don't think it's wrong to stay at home. I don't think either of those are wrong. In fact, if you've got little kids, I guarantee you work harder at home than, you, than any lady that's working in the workplace someplace else. So it's not this idea of, of which is the hardest, which is the most noble, which is the greatest. So, so don't, don't take this as a hard and fast position that women should work, should stay at home or they should work outside the home. I don't think it's either of those things because, honestly, I think the Bible is kind of mute on that point. I think it's, it's, it basically gives you the freedom to say, here's what I've called you to do. Here's your giftedness. Here's your skill set. Now put it to use in the way that brings the most glory to me. I think that's the clear message, whether that's outside the home, inside the home, or both in, in many cases. Um, but I think the message here is that, and not just ladies, but all of us, that we are to be driven, we are to be motivated, we are to be unlazy people. There needs to be some sense of drive and purpose and, and, and design and destiny to our lives, not just kind of, okay, who can I find that's going to take care, care of me and meet all my needs? That's not what we were designed for, or certainly what ladies weren't designed for. And I think Ruth here is a great example of this, of this unending drive that just, just pushes through when it's hard. Pushes through when it's difficult. We're going to look at that just more in, in this in this next point. And that's this. She not only was a woman of unwavering loyalty and unending drive, but a woman of selfless provision. Look in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. She had started at, at sunup. Gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered. That's, that's very labor-intensive as well. And uh, um, it, it amounted to about an ephah. An ephah is basically about three-fourths of a bushel. So it's a good size, a good, you know, something pretty heavy to carry home, in fact. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought, uh, brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So she not only grinds all this grain and, and puts it in some kind, of, I don't know whether it's a sack, whether it's a, uh, a basket of some kind, but anyway, carries this home, a good probably... 40 to 50 pounds that she carries home. Don't know how far far outside of Bethlehem she was, but carries this back to Bethlehem. So she's carrying a 40, 50 pound home, plus uh, 40, 50 pounds worth of grain home, plus the leftover bread from the meal. Now, think with me, the, the selfless mindset and this, this idea of providing for Naomi that's, that's going through her mind as she's eating the meal, as she's gleaning off, off, off of the field, as she's there threshing all of this into grain that can be made into bread or whatever else, and then... She thinks enough to, to, to grab the leftovers from the meal and the grain and take all that home and gives every bit of that to Naomi. She doesn't say, here's some for you, some for me. Gives every bit of it to Naomi. 
This idea, that, as, as I said earlier, that women are driven to nurture, that's exactly what she does to Naomi. She's not her child, but she is, she is a, a mentor to her. And so she, she basically becomes selfless in providing for Naomi, even above the needs of her own self. Um, now, clearly here, the provision relates in, in, in this circumstance to the essentials. I think there's a lesson in that as well. And that is, ladies, you clearly need to define in your home and in your life the essentials. Um, that's a little easier for kids. It's a little harder for ourselves sometimes. It's Your kids may need a pair of tennis shoes, but they don't need a $140 pair of Air Jordans necessarily. I mean, they need tennis shoes. They want the $140 Air Jordans, but what they need is tennis shoes. And so it's, it's up to you to decide what's the essential here. Is the essential this pair of tennis shoes or is the essential this pair of tennis shoes? It, it is, is, am I meeting the need by giving them what they want or am I meeting the need by giving them exactly what they need? So it's up to you to decide the essentials. It's not a, it's not a zero-sum game. Um, you decide that in your home. In my home, this wasn't an issue. It probably would be today, especially if I had boys. Uh, an Xbox is not an, would, would not be an essential in my home. A, a PlayStation 2 or a, that would not be an essential in my home. In fact, as, I, as I've shared with you before, the Lord is probably gracious and, and not give me boys because I probably would have beat them half to death. But they would have been, their hind ends would have been outside playing. If boys grew up in my home, they're not going to be sitting in front of a TV playing video games. They're going to be on a bicycle. They're going to be with a ball. They're going to be climbing a tree. They're going to be doing something outside. Get out of the house. Don't want you in the house. Get out. Don't want you in here. You know why? Because I learned some great things from a grandmother and a mother who said, get out of the house. I don't want you in here. Get a ball. Go do something. Go ride a bike. Get out of here. Now, I understand now why they didn't want me in the house. I didn't get it then. I just I was fine to be outside. But they wanted me out. They wanted me out so that I wouldn't mess up the house for one, which was usually pretty easy to do. But they wanted me out so that I could... I would, I would get over myself and not be self-consumed, get out and play with other kids and do, do some other things. You're going to decide, ladies, what the essential is for the kids in your home. The, it, in my home, uh, an iPhone, an iPad would, not, would be a non-essential. If you want one of those, you save your money and you go buy one. I'm not going to buy you one. In fact, I'm so old school that, that uh, we, we didn't, uh, allow our girl, girls to have cell phones until they were driving. Now, I, I realize it's a different culture in a different world today. However, some of the things that under 16-year-old kids do with cell phones is not very good sometimes. L- l- let me just be discreet and say that. Um, but and not only did we, we not, um, t- not allow them to have a cell phone until they were driving, they had to pay for it. We didn't pay their cell phone bill. You get you some babysitting jobs. You do whatever. You, if you want a cell phone, you're gonna have, you're gonna have to put your own bill for a cell phone. You're also gonna have to buy your own gas for your car. You're also gonna have to furnish your own insurance for your car. Now we'll help you get a vehicle, but you're you're gonna bear some of the burden of what life is like as an adult and what responsibilities you have. And so, um, I wouldn't allow a kid in, in in this world to drive without a phone anymore. But but and I and I realize I'm I'm old school and I'm I'm old fuddy duddy. I realize 13 year old kids and 12 year old kids are walking around with cell phones now. I just don't know why they need them. I mean, there's phones everywhere they are. There's a phone at school. There's a phone at nanny's house. There's a phone at there's a phone everywhere they are. And there's not much phone at home anymore. Nobody has home telephones anymore. So I can see the need for a, a, a you know sometimes for that. But anyway, all that to say, you need to decide the essentials. 
what the essentials are in your home and in your world. That also needs to apply to you, ladies. Um, you may need a purse, but it may not have to say coach on the side of it. You may need a pair of shoes, but they may not have to be $300 Gucci shoes. The need can be met, whether it's something that's, that's extravagant or not. The essential is what is, is, the, is the underlying lesson here behind this text, and that is she knew what was important, and it was food's pretty basic essential for all of us. Uh, she knew that, that they needed to eat. And in fact, she go over here into chapter 2 and look at verse 2. She wasn't motivated by the fact that Naomi said, why don't you go out and get us something to eat? Naomi didn't say that at all. Ruth took it upon herself. Look in verse 2 of chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. If that's what you want to do, go ahead. Ruth was motivated in of herself, not because Naomi said, hey, it'd be good if we had something to eat around here. What do you think? No. Ruth said, we need something to eat around here. What do you think? <laughs> she initiated that herself and said, let me go find a field that I can, can gather some grain in. I can find some, somebody's find a favor in someone's eyes and they'll let me come, come along behind the gatherers and gather whatever's left over. And so that's exactly what she, would, she did. She was motivated in and of herself on her own. Um, so, ladies... Don't let this, uh, let this self-consumed culture pressure you into redefining what the essentials are because I'm going to tell you, they're going to tell you what's wrong. They're going to tell you what's false. They're going to tell you exactly what you need. And there is this idea that um, you can't make it without this essential. And, without, and this needs to be an essential in your home. And this needs to be an essential for your kid. And, and your kids deserve this and you deserve that. And I'm going to tell you all the pressures of, the, of, the, of, the, of this culture are kind of weighing in. And it gets continual. And sometimes it even comes from church who you're supposed to, supposed to be at church, how you're supposed to dress, what you're supposed to look like, how you're supposed to talk. And I'm going to tell you, all of that's straight from hell, and it smells like smoke. We should recognize it as such. The essentials are defined by God and his word, not by what someone else thinks, what their opinion is. And I know that's hard to walk away from. I know that's hard to, 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 to put some, some barriers around to where I'm, I'm comfortable with God defining who I am, not with you defining who I am. And you don't go up to somebody and say, you don't tell me who I am. I get that from Scripture. I get that from the Lord. That's the message here, this underlying message of, of, of Ruth being a selfless provider of her, her need to nurture, her recognizing it, and her going about it. Nobody had to ask her to do it. She goes about it on her own. Why? Because she wants to make sure the essentials in her home are taken care of. It's, it's, it's wise to define those things. She, she defined them very clearly. Fourthly, she wasn't only... Uh, a woman of loyalty, and these, as I say, these, the, the drive and the provision dovetail in with the loyalty. She was a woman of finally undeniable character. Look in verse three, verse uh, chapter three, verse ten. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, "This, this is Boaz speaking. Uh, this kindness is greater than, than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. My fellow townsmen, know that you are a woman." Of noble character. Look up at verse 10. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. In essence, I saw what you did for your mother in law. This is even greater. What? He said, You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. You're a woman of noble character. Our culture, I really believe, is intentionally, I don't think it's accidental, our culture is intentionally training women to chase two things to chase youth, and to chase money. 
The reason I think it's, uh, it's designed to, to, to help women chase youth, or, and I would, I would put youth slash beauty because younger is prettier in most women's eyes. I wish I was younger. My skin was tighter. It was, you know. And so we're chasing youth. It amazes me how many products come on the, across the TV screen or in a magazine ad that deal with beauty and deal with trying to turn back the clock for women. To try and go back and revisit my youth so that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm somehow prettier, I'm somehow more desirable. In fact, ladies, the, the beauty industry is a $25 billion in industry. Blows my mind. Um, that, that we are, that, that we spend the money we spend to chase beauty, to chase something that's fleeting. Youth is a fleeting thing. And, and we're, you know, we're, and, and it's not just men, uh, ladies, men are doing this too, uh, trying to reclaim. And foster youth and, and be younger and be healthy. Nothing wrong with being healthy. We need to do that. And your pastor needs to do that more than you do. We need to, all of us probably be good to, for us to do some pushaways every now and then. But, but there, this, this idea of living a healthy lifestyle is, is great. But this idea of chasing something that's fleeting, chasing youth and, and chasing beauty and chasing the things that are, as I say, that this culture sees as an essential that really aren't are a waste of our time. I think educationally speaking, it's pushing women. Our, our academia is pushing women. Now, there's nothing wrong with youth. There's nothing wrong with beauty. Please hear that. There's, there's something wrong with that being the, the drive of my life, to be prettier, to be, you know, um, to where I don't see myself as, as, as value, having value and having worth until I look like, you know, one of these gals up here you thought were pretty or somebody you think's pretty. This, the second side of this coin, though, of, of our culture, and, and, and I think these verses are, are totally culturally appropriate here of our culture. She didn't chase you. She didn't chase men, young men, whether rich or poor. In essence, you left money alone and you left youth alone. You were, you were wise enough to realize those things. Our, our culture, I think through academia is chasing this idea that ladies, you need to be the CEO. I mean, it's time that the guy started working for you. It's, it's let's, let's flip, flip the coin here to where you're, you're now the one calling the shots and you're the one you take the cash home. Why should the guy? Why should your boss, the guy, take the cash home? You take the cash home. Here's what tells me that's true. One of the things that tells me that's true, uh, among several. I don't have time to go into all of the day, but here's one. By well over a two to one margin, women have master's degrees over men. By well well over a two to one margin. In fact, it's almost three to one. Women women having master's master's degrees versus men having master's degrees. Nothing wrong with education. I'm very pro education. Both of my daughters have master's degrees. Um, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. However, if the, if the design behind that is this, you be the boss, you chase the money, you bring the cash home, that's a wrong design. Nothing wrong with learning, nothing wrong with equipping, nothing wrong with getting more information, nothing wrong with bettering yourself, nothing wrong with having a better life and more education, nothing wrong with any of that. But if the drive is, you go chase the money, you deserve the money, you, she's, he, he's saying here to her, it's wise. And I, and I bless you, Ruth Boaz does, I bless you for not chasing the things that other women chase. I, you're wise enough, you're a noble character enough to realize that youth is a fleeting thing and wealth is a fleeting thing. And you chase neither here, he says in verse 11. You're wise enough to, to move yourself in a, in a different direction to chase the things that no, normal women want to seek. They'd want to seek a wealthy husband or they'd want to seek a lifestyle of leisure, a lifestyle of And you're wise enough not to seek that. They'd also want to seek a younger, a, a younger husband would validate me, make me feel like I'm, I'm more desirable than an older. And, and Boaz and Ruth were... Years, in fact, some theologians think as many as 30 years apart in age that she was that much younger than him. So 
He sees and recognizes these characteristics in her. And even as a young woman, very young woman, she is wise enough not to chase the things that other women in her culture chased. Why? Because she saw the godliness in Naomi, I believe, and wanted to follow that same godliness. Um, this This idea of noble character, in fact, the word noble only appears eight times in Scripture. And it is defined really as something as admirable to the point of desirable. What do I mean by that? It's that I see something in him or in her or in, in, this, in this individual, not only that I think is, is, is a good thing, but I want to model it. I want to follow after it. I want to put it into place in my life. Noble being admirable to the point of desirable, to the point of following after, to the point of modeling, I guess as it were. And so as he describes her as a woman of noble character, He's saying, you're, even in your youth, you're a woman that others will want to follow after. You're a woman others will want to model their decisions after. You're a woman that others will want to say, why did you make that choice? Why did you choose this area and not this area? Why did you choose this lifestyle and not that? Why did you choose? And you're, he said, you're, a, you're a, per, a person, even in your youth, of, of noble character that other women want to kind of get behind you and follow after your way the very same way you're doing after Naomi. So... Ladies, there's some great examples of that, and I've shared this with you before to say there needs to be somebody pouring into our life, and we need to be pouring into the life of someone behind us spiritually on the journey. That's the, that's the clear picture here these verses paint. He's saying here, I realize somebody's poured into you. It's Naomi. You're, you don't get this noble on your own. You don't see these things enough, well enough on your own, clearly enough on your own. And you have enough character to where there are other women your age and younger will want to follow along behind you. Why? Because they want to seek the very same things you're seeking and find the very same things you found. Well, these last three attributes here of drive and provision and character are totally meaningless apart from the loyalty that Ruth has for Naomi and Naomi's life and her way. Um, it's In fact, uh, her loyalty is the foundation for the other three things. <clears throat> and she lives a life here, obviously, of, of and you'll see this unfold as you, as you read into chapter 4 and see the rest of this story. But Ruth never has any regrets. She never lives a life of regret in following after Naomi and walking away from the life she knew, the relationship she knew. She never lives a life of regret in following after that because her loyalty never wavered for Naomi. It never wavered. It never, she never stopped the question, did I do the right thing? I mean, I walked away from a lot. Is this, it never wavered. She never gave another thought about it. Why? I'm convinced it's because, as I said earlier, she saw some things in Naomi's life that she didn't see in anybody else's life. No other woman around her saw some things in Naomi that said, I want to follow after that. I want to model that. There is, there is God-like qualities in her that I want to, I want to put, the plate, put in place in my life. Um, so what's the lesson in that, ladies? Find a mentor. If you've never done that before, find a mentor. Somebody that you can, you can at least bounce things off of. You can at least say, Here's the way I'm thinking about this. Am I totally off base? Am I seeing the wrong things? I need some perspective. And that's the value in a mentor is perspective. Not only mileage of having walked in life and seen some situations maybe that you've not seen before, but the more valuable thing is, is mileage coupled with, with perspective to say, here's the lens I'm looking through, and here's why I'm looking through this lens to tell you here's what I see in your life. And ladies, as I said, we need to seek mentors, seek ladies that have the qualities that, are Naomi-like qualities that we want to follow after. And we not only need to seek that, we need to seek a person behind us as well to, to start to pour our lives into, to say, here's some things that you need to start to look for in life. Here's some things you need to see. 
And if, if there is, if there's this, it's, as I say, it's this whole idea of someone's life ahead of you being squeezed into yours and your life being squeezed into someone behind you and the sponge is filled back up by the one ahead of you and it's squeezed into the one behind you. If, if there is this lifestyle of, of I'm soaking from someone and I'm investing in someone, I'm going to tell you, God will start to use that in ways that will blow your mind, not only in your life, but in the lives of people that you have a relationship with, in the, in the lives of people that say, what's, what's, on, what's up with you? I mean, there's a different sense of drive. There's a different sense of zeal. There's a different sense of purpose. There's a different sense of joy. There's a different sense about you. What is it? And, and it can largely be turned to, I'm gleaning the wisdom of someone else, and I'm pouring that wisdom into someone behind me. And so your, your lifestyle has and develops a sense of purpose and a sense of passion, a sense of direction, a sense of destiny, as I often say. Um, so I, I, I encourage you to seek that. I think that's one of the great subsets of, of, of the lesson here with Ruth. It's not only a picture of her, her loyalty, but why she is so loyal. And that is she sees these godlike qualities in her mentor, Naomi. Ladies, a couple of questions or a question really an observation as we leave. Um, I can't, and, and, and none of us probably could, go come to these situations, examine this kind of, of truth, uh, see this kind of example, and not, not have to, to wonder is has a lack of loyalty on my part given its way to regret? Because I've not been loyal when I needed to be, has, has my lifestyle, am I living now with a sense of regret about things because I made some choices that were not very loyal choices in my life? Um, well, and that may look, that may take the form of, you know, as you're sitting here today, uh, how do I know if I have regret? As I'm sitting here today, if there are several instances in which you can say, Man, I wish I had known that years ago. I wish someone had told me that years ago. I wish I had learned that years ago. I would have saved some heartache. I would have saved some time. Would have saved, saved some money. Probably would have saved some 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 hurt feelings, and would have saved a lot of things. Would have saved a lot of anguish in life if I had known that years ago. Um, not all of that can be tied to, to loyalty, but but much of it can be tied to a loyalty that I'm going to seek God's way, and I'm going to find a person that, to help me get there. I'm going to seek his way, and I'm going to seek his word, and I'm going to find the life of someone to pour into me that says, here's what that looks like. And if we don't do that, and, and ladies, one of the greatest things you can do, you're, if you have young or adolescent or young adult children, one of the greatest things you could do is hand them off to somebody you have confidence in. Because I'm going to tell you when they're teenagers, you're an idiot. And you're going to stay an idiot until, you get a, until they get about 25 or 30. And you're going to get really smart again when they're 25 or 30. But during those years where, where you're not cool anymore and, and I don't want to hang out with you anymore, th- th- there's so much value into finding someone to, to pour into the life of your daughter that, is, that, can, that can say the same things you're saying and do the same things you're doing in a different way. It's just somebody else that I'm not, I'm not seeing every day. And so that, that whole thing is what I'm talking about when, when your daughter gets to be your age and, and looks back and says, man, I wish somebody told me that years ago. I wish somebody had sat down with me years ago and said, don't follow this road or follow this road. It'll, 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 you know, there's so much value in seeking those kind of things. Now, not only what has a lack of loyalty caused you to regret, ladies, but here's, here's my admonishment to you. Make the choice not to stay there. Make a clear choice not to stay there. And that is your choice. You, you can't control what happened to you. You can't control anymore the decisions you made. You've got to live with the consequences of them, but you don't have to live with the, with the sense of guilt and the sense of regret that comes with them. I'm going to tell you, guilt, 100% of it, is totally from hell. It's totally from the enemy. And if, if you think any of that comes from God, 
I challenge you to take God's word and, and show me that. I'm going to tell you, guilt does not come from him. Conviction? Yes. A sense of drawing? Yes. Natural consequences to decisions? Yes. Guilt? No. He doesn't do guilt. Never has. He doesn't do regret. Never has. So if you're living with a sense of guilt, a sense of regret that's come from decisions that you, you, you regret making, none of that's come from him. Realize where it comes from. Um, so how do I get around that? First of all, forgive yourself if necessary. That's one of the hardest forgives there is for many ladies. They want to carry that and remember that. Forgive yourself. Secondly, forgive somebody else if it's necessary. That's hurt you, that's led you in a wrong way, that's been a bad influence, that's, that's, that's scarred or, or, or in some way uh, kept you from being the, the, the woman that God intended for you to be. And thirdly, <clears throat> move on. Forgive yourself, forgive them, and move on. Me and I were having a conversation last night about a, a, a friend of Hannah's that's in her life that, is, that tells her all the time, check that box and move on. Don't, don't dwell here. Don't stay here. There's no value in dwelling on this and, stay, and trying to fix what is unfixable. It's already gone. That's already, that ship's already sailed. Move on to the next thing. It's, it's amazing to me, and, and I, I, I think, and I don't think women are better at this because they're better. I mean, men are better at this because they're better than women. That's not the case at all. But men are better than this because they want to forget. <laughs> Most men would rather <laughs> no more of that. Let me move on to the next. And, and that's, a, that's a hard task. It's a harder task for ladies than it is men to move beyond the scar, to move beyond the, the hurt, to move beyond the pain, and not feel like they need to own some of that. And I don't get I, I'm a, I must be honest with you, I don't get it. I understand if there are consequences of decisions we've made, we pay for the consequences, we, we deal with the, with, with the hurt that comes from it. But continuing to live, ladies, with a sense of continual regret and continual guilt is totally evil, it's totally from the enemy, and it's all the work of Satan. Realize where that comes from. So if you, if you need to, forgive yourself of what's happened. If you need to, forgive somebody else of what's happened. But thirdly, move on. Don't stay in the same place and allow the enemy to use that same sense of, of, of guilt and regret over and over and over again in your life. So what am I to be loyal to? What was Ruth loyal to? She was loyal to, loyal to godliness. Now, it happened to be in Naomi. but she was loyal to, That's what she was loyal to. She was loyal to Naomi, yes. But she was loyal to the things she saw in Naomi the things she wanted to model in Naomi, the things she wanted to be in Naomi. Great advice, great counsel for you ladies. Find some, someone worth modeling and, 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 and learn to ask questions, learn to say, tell me about that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have seen that coming. How did you deal with that when, when this happened to you? And learn to see those, those traits and those characteristics that, uh, that, are, that are godly in, the, in some ladies. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to find a perfect model. There are none. <laughs> You'll see some traits of godliness, but there's some traits of humanness too. There's no perfect women. There's no perfect men. We're all going to fall. We're all fair. We're all broken. But find some traits of godliness that you see and admire and follow that and be loyal to it. Be loyal to those things you see. Not that that person's flawless and sinless. They're not. But the characteristics that are godly in them are and follow them. They're worth modeling. They're worth following. Um, man, it's a, it's a, loyalty is such a fleeting thing in our culture. I mean, it's just a fleeting thing. I, it's my dad's generation <clears throat> averaged between 30 and 35 years at a job, at a career. My generation today, the baby boomer generation, is averaging about seven years. The generation behind me, the, the, the Gen Xers and the millennials, are averaging 3.7 years in a, in, a, in a job. Now, not all that's right or wrong. Sometimes jobs don't fit and you move on to the next thing. 
But there's not a sense of loyalty that there used to be. That's a fleeting thing. And I think it's fleeting because our culture, culture says, you don't need to be loyal. You don't need to hang in there. You don't need to tough it out. You don't need to drive down some stakes. You don't need to do that. Please yourself. The message here from Ruth is, no, you please somebody else. My, my life is about pouring into somebody else. I'm loyal to the godliness I see in Naomi, and I'm going I'm to give everything I've got for it. I'm going to work daylight to dark for it. I'm going to follow it wherever it goes, wherever it leads. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Great counsel, ladies, and great advice for her, from her to follow. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.